Well, welcome. Good to have everybody here. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be just, just looking at verses 9 to 14 in our time together. Just six short verses. <clears throat> so you're saying, I'm going to get out of here early. <clears throat> well, we'll see. We'll see how that all goes. Um, it's interesting to me that in most churches that you visit in America, you would probably tend to meet at least two kinds of people. Uh, you meet a lot of different kinds of people. But I think in a lot of churches, you'll probably meet some people who will say, if they don't say it, they'll think it, that they really do deserve to be there. I mean, when they look at their life, they're pretty good people. And when they compare themselves to others, they're even better. And then in every church, or almost every church, you will find people who feel like they don't deserve to be there. They're not really quite sure why they're there. Except they want to get closer to God or something. How does God feel about those kinds of people? I mean, maybe you're here today, and although you might not say it, you, you do deserve to be here. You make it a better place. Perhaps that's how you, th that's how you think. You want to verbalize it. But perhaps you're here today and you're saying, I don't think I really deserve to be here. I feel like really out of place. I don't know the things you're supposed to do. Like, I don't know when you're supposed to stand and sit. And when you pray, are you supposed to do this or not? I don't know. But we're happy everybody's here. But how does God feel about those kinds of people? Well, in this passage, we get the answer. Because the problems we have in our day were the same kinds of problems they had in the first century. And since the beginning of time, things really haven't changed. So notice what the text says in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18. Jesus says, or Luke tells us about Jesus, and he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Perhaps that's you, or perhaps at least you know somebody who feels that way. Or perhaps sometimes you're a little bit like that. It's easy. It's easy if you've been around Christianity for a while. To kind of settle in. On the way you behave. And to look at others. Who don't dress exactly like you don't have exactly the same practices of you, don't have the same standards as you, or whatever the case may be. I, I mean, it's easy for us, I think, to fall into these kinds of things sometimes. I know these are polarized and we're not exactly there, but I read this, some of this stuff time, sometimes, I think to myself, there's a little bit of that in all of us if we're not very careful. So, Jesus has this group who think very good about themselves, and about their own righteousness, and have others see others in contempt. So he tells a story. Verse 10. Two men went up 
to, into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. Now the problem is in our day, as soon as I say Pharisee, do you go like this or like this? We always go like, ooh. And tax collector, we say, I don't know. They, you know, I think they can kind of be like this sometimes, right? I mean, isn't that the truth? And the problem is, nobody in the first century would have thought that way with you. They would wonder, if I were to say, two men stood up to pray. The one was a pastor. And the other was a guy off the street. Now, which one are you predisposed when I say something like that? Aren't you thinking like, pastor, you have images of Tim Huff and, and others in your mind, right? I mean, so you, you know, you have really good vibes about pastors, don't you? And tax collectors, like, they're worse than IRS agents. They're worse than lawyers. I mean, they're just, they're just like, yuck. You know what I mean? And in the first century, that's how people would have heard this story. Two people come up to, the, to, to, to pray. And perhaps this was the prayer, you know, they would have morning and evening sacrifices in the, at the temple. So perhaps that was the time when people would often come up and pray and you could overhear what they're saying and sometimes they were praying for you, sometimes they were praying for God, sometimes they were doing all that stuff. But when Jesus tells this story, nothing unusual about people coming up to the temple to pray. And when you hear Pharisee, you go thumbs up because they're the guys that have it together. And when you hear tax collector, you think thumbs down because they're the guys that don't have it together. And we know how God feels about them. It's this. And we know how God feels about them. It's this. That's what you're hearing. So two men go up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. And the other, a crummy, no good, lousy, good for nothing tax collector. We know what they do. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. God, I thank thee. Now that was a pretty good introduction to the prayer. But it all kinds of goes south after that. But the first three words, he, he stands up and he, God, he says, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people. Swindlers unjust, adulterers. And then out of the corner of his eye, he looks over and he sees this tax collector or even like this tax collector. Now, honestly, folks, he wasn't like some of those other people, was he? I suppose he was a pretty honest guy. I suppose if you were going to do business, this Pharisee would be a good guy to do business with. He would not rip you off. He won't let you rip him off either, but he wouldn't rip you off. I mean, he goes right by the book. And you know what? Faithful in his marriage like you can't believe. Just, fair. He looked at his life and that's what he said. God, I thank thee that I'm not like those kinds of people. I'm different. And I'm certainly not like that bum over there that's, that, that's down on his knees because 
that tax collector. Okay. He doesn't just tell us, though. I mean, I think I've told you this before. It is so easy when you're involved in religion, as we all are, to do comparisons. Isn't it? Don't we just tend to compare ourselves to others? And this guy is looking around and he says, I'm not like that, and I'm not like that, and I'm not like that. And then he's, he's talking generally. And then he sees somebody specifically and he says, and I'm certainly not like that guy. I know what he's done. It's easy to do those kinds of things. To compare ourselves to others. And then to look at our relationship with God and saying, I've got it all together. Because look at what he says. Verse 12. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I don't know about you, but he'd be a pretty good guy to have in the church. You know every week he came, comes in here, one-tenth of everything he makes goes in the box in the back there. It'd be, be pretty easy for a church to figure. If you had a church filled with nothing but these kinds of people, budgets would be pretty easy. Every week, man, the guy does it. I don't know about that. I read that and I think, but that, that, that sounds pretty nice. And he fasts twice a week. He didn't have to do that. He set a whole other standard down that twice a week, he would go without food or drink, at least for a portion of that day, and he would fast for whatever purposes he was fasting for. Isn't that impressive? He's not like those people, especially that guy. And he's committed to give. Man, I, I like that. And he goes up above everything that other people do. He fasts twice a week, folks. It's, it's, it's religiously, it's really, really, really impressive. God hasn't given his evaluation yet. But at this point, my guess is people listening to this story at this particular point are thinking, yeah. Yeah, he's a pretty good guy. Does this and does that and he's not like them. His contract with God is solid. Comparison with others, he's better. This is our guy. Jesus, keep going with this story. Okay? But the tax gatherer, verse 13... Standing some distance away. I mean, even where he stands indicates how he feels. If you, if, you, if you talk to people in the temple at that point, and you say, who deserves to be where? They would say, the Pharisee deserves to be right up front where he is. And that guy deserves to be way back there. And that guy would tell you the exact same thing. The tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or God, be, be propitiated to me, the sinner. So let's come back and look at this guy. He's in the way back. He can't even look up. All he can do 
is beat his breast. And when you see beating your breast in, in, in the Gospels, it's always this deep sense that something is desperately wrong. Remember at the cross? The Bible says people went away and they beat their breasts because they said, this is wrong. In this, in this situation, the guy's saying, I'm wrong. He can't even look up and all he can think about is, God, I am the sinner. When he looked around, he didn't see anybody that was, that was worse than him. He only saw himself as the sinner. And literally, he says, these sacrifices that we're doing, is there any way that I can be propitiated to you? You, God, are an angry God, a God of greatness. Is there any way I can be brought near? That somehow, God, please, just please, please be merciful to me. And that's his prayer. I suppose. A lot of people could have watched all this, listened to this story and said, what a pathetic bum. And what a wonderful religious person. And then Jesus gives the clincher, the sting in the tail. I tell you, verse 14, this man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Jesus just turned their world upside down. I mean, they're listening to the story and waiting for, for this guy felt he deserved to be here. God had a great deal with this guy. This guy felt he didn't deserve to be here, but in desperation, he didn't know where else to go but to God. People sitting around and hearing this are thinking Jesus is going to say, God felt this guy deserves to be here, and God felt that guy doesn't deserve here. And he turns the whole thing on his head, and he says, this guy who thinks he's righteous is not. And this guy who thinks he isn't is. What, does that ever turn your world upside down? Do you mean religion is not about what I do for God? Come on, Doug. You have the book. There's all kinds of commands in there. I, I, I got it. I got it. Because I know how desperately I come short of that stuff as you do. So yeah, doing is important. Yeah, I understand that. But it's never the basis of our relationship with God, is it, folks? And this guy thought, my contract with you, God, I, you got to deal with me. And I'm better than all those other people, especially him. That was his religion. And the other man in his absolute deep awareness of his true sinfulness could only say, God, can you somehow accept a sacrifice and be in relationship with me? That's what he says.
which one is true Christianity? It's the second, isn't it? And so there's, there's words here. I guess I would say this. God exalts those who humbly bow before him as sinners and humbles those who proudly stand before him as righteous and superior. Now, they're the poles. But are there not times in our lives when we tend to drift even to this side if we're not careful? Martin Luther said this. There are two sorts of people in the world. Sinners who think themselves righteous and the righteous who think themselves sinners. It's a really, really good quote. So this text gives us a word for the self-righteous and a word for the truly righteous. A word for the self-righteous. When our standing before God is about our performance for God and our superiority over others, rather than about our deep dependence upon God and his mercy, we are not in a right relationship with him. You can go back through the Gospel of Luke and you will see this theme running through it again and again. Have we not seen this repeatedly? Luke chapter 5, Jesus Christ is with these tax collectors and Matthew and all that the, the scum. And the Pharisees are saying, why would you hang out with them? And Jesus says, those individuals who know they're sick, I can heal. But if you think that you're righteous on your own, I can't help you. And then in Luke chapter 7, a woman who everybody in the community knows is an out and right sinner. Because probably because of her moral life in the past. She comes in, you remember, and she falls down and she weeps and she cries and she, she, she's kissing his feet and doing all those kinds of things. And, 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 and Simon, I was going to take my glasses off, but I can't because of this thing. And, and, and Simon, the, uh, the, 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 the Pharisee at that moment, says to himself, can you believe it? Why did I invite this guy in for a meal? This is, like, this is like the embarrassment. This is going to be on the National Enquirer. I mean, this is unbelievable. Doesn't he know what kind of woman that is? And Jesus tells him that story again, doesn't he? And in that story, Jesus emphasizes again, Simon, don't you realize it's not about what you've done? It's about you realizing that you have nothing to offer God and you come to him and you fall down and you beg for his mercy and he grants it. And the rest of your life is a thank you to him. We come to Luke all the way through, whether we're at Luke 15, the same thing with the sinners that come in and the Pharisees can't figure it out. I mean, they never quite get it, do they? I, I, don't, I don't know your heart. But you know, I know it's possible for us to have folks here at the chapel that still ultimately see their Christianity as a contract they've made with God, what they do for him, and that they're better than people around them. Folks, if that's how you view your relationship with God, you're as far from God as can be imagined. If 
feels like you're close, but you're not. You're the older brother in the prodigal son story. You're at home, but you're not really at home. And Christianity at its core is this deep sense of I am a sinner with nothing to offer God and all I can do is plead for his mercy and the rest of my life is a life that's filled with grace in which my faith responds to that grace because I am so thankful for what he's done for me. Which is why this guy was righteous. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not suggesting that this guy could traipse home and say, you know, I can start ripping people off and do whatever I want and I'll go back in a week and set everything straight again and I'll just, that would be manipulation also, wouldn't it? No, when God comes into a heart, God changes the person. And we've seen that all the way through Luke's gospel. So when Jesus calls people to self-sacrifice and commitment, all appropriate, but at the end of the day, that doesn't get me to heaven, folks. That's how somebody on their way to heaven is supposed to live. Because they've been accepted and forgiven by God. To be a Christian means that at some point in our life we have to say, God, you have to propitiate. I, I, I can't come in a relationship with you unless there's a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is Christ. And when we've accepted that and we've come in relationship with him and we're privileged to become his followers. We don't have to. We get to. Then our Christian life is about continuing to live out the life of God in our souls. Do you see? Am I suggesting then that we should never evaluate other people? No, you find that all through the scriptures too. Do you remember in Matthew 7? Don't tell me the Bible doesn't use humor. Jesus pictures a guy walking into a room. I, 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 Carmelo, I've used this with Carmelo in the past. I noticed you're sitting back there. Smart move. Okay. Because <laughs> years, I think I did use this one. But you know, I came, come walking in, I have this huge two by four sticking out of my eye. Right? And I'm trying to work on a little splinter in Tim's eye. Now, Tim just shouldn't have that splinter in his eye. But, you know, there's a bit of a problem here, isn't there? And here's the point. What happens when we're so deeply aware of our own shortcomings and God's incredible grace that he shows us on a daily basis that we see these, these huge two-by-fours that God in his grace is, is, is beginning to work on, it then frees me to move toward Tim. And when I move toward Tim, I don't move to him to, as a cocky guy. Can you believe Hoff, what Hoff did? <laughs> so, so little Hoff, whatever. I don't mean, you know what I mean? That, it's, you know, like, can you believe him? Can you believe me? Can you believe? And yet God was gracious. I get to humbly move back toward Tim. Say, Tim, there's hope for the splinter. So it doesn't mean I move away from people. I don't deny anybody's sin. But awareness of my own and a dealing with my own so softens my heart that God has forgiven me and God is changing me that I move toward everybody else differently. Do you see? It's a wonderful text. 
I have to tell you, there are times when I forget the cross and I think I look a little bit more like that Pharisee. And I kind of look people over and think, I'm doing better than that guy. And maybe some of that's true in some sense, fair enough. But it's never to be our stance. Our stance is one of, I'm forgiven. I get to know God. And I get to help other people in the process. And that changes everything. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. But this man went back to his home justified. We were singing that song, My one defense, my righteousness, Lord, how I need you. If that guy was living here today, he would have sang that song from the bottom of his heart. Father,